please let us open our Bibles to the book of Second Thessalonians, chapter three, verse from verse five to sixteen. Second Thessalonians, chapter three, verse five to sixteen. Let me read for you. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this, not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Verse 11, we hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as, as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Verse 14, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And that's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us say a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have given us a privilege that every Sunday you are appointed servants, men and women, stand here to proclaim your word. We count it such a joy and a privilege. Lord, now even as we hear from your servant, our canon, may you be with us, O oh God. May you bless him as well. He has been a blessing to us. We pray even today that, Lord, your word still will be a blessing to us. Anoint him afresh and give him the grace even to bring your word and your true counsel to us. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen, amen and amen. Karibu sana kano. Good morning. Buenas Is this my con? All right. Yes, I'm happy to be back to share with you again this morning from God's Word uh, in this series on Christian living. Remember we said that in matters Christian living, there is a latitude and huge space where the choices we make are not necessarily right or wrong. Uh, they are legitimate and valid even though we may not be able to dodge the consequences and different perspectives can be okay. In our first sermon in the series, we tried to define culture and relied quite significantly on Richard Naibu, Christ and culture, who defines culture as that total process of human activity and that total result of such activity to which now the name culture, now the name civilization is applied in common speech. Technically, Naibu says you can say civilization 
that is culture. When you say culture, it is civilization because it is the sum total of human activity on the natural to create an environment in which they can live happily. And it constitutes the artificial secondary environment which we impose on the natural. This is progressive. And so over the years you can read about human civilization and the journey we have come. It's also cumulative in the sense that some of the things we have enjoyed over the years are new um, as the time goes. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Which thought is restated in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And you can see what Naibu is saying about culture is exactly what God is saying. You've been created, you've been placed in this beautiful garden. You are instructed to work and take care of it. That activity is culture. So this working on the land, this tending the land, this superimposing by man on the natural, you can define as work. And I'll be coming back to say quite a bit about this. But in the second sermon last Sunday, we focused on how the general and prevailing culture interferes with the spiritual and can defile us and also open loopholes for Satan to lay claim on us and find ground to oppress, harass, intimidate, destroy, steal from us, and if possible, even kill us. And we said there are many individual Christians uh, and in families under different forms of oppression. They know it. But we also said that without blaming culture all the time, Sometimes we are the ones who open the door for Satan to interfere with us by doubling in sin. Sometimes by choice. People confronted by the choice between right and wrong sometimes choose what is wrong with all the consequences that follow. Sometimes by default. You find yourself, you have sinned, and if you check back you think you are stupid and foolish to find yourself there but you are. You didn't purpose to, but it has happened. Or sometimes just by succumbing to personal weakness and thus giving Satan a foothold uh, in your life and in your families. I suggest that to break his grip on us, which is sometimes transgenerational, it may take support, learning, and unmasking of Satan who camouflages a lot in his designs, by prayer and anointing. And there is nothing wrong with going to the pastors and saying, I think I'm under oppression. Pray for me and anoint me that this may be broken so that I can enjoy freedom. So keep these thoughts in your mind. Um, they are not life and death thoughts, but you'll find them useful in your journey. 
Today we look at the subject of work. If you look at biblical definitions of work, they read like essays. Work cannot be defined in one line or two fully. It requires quite a deep engagement. And we may not be able to exhaust that subject or do complete justice on it. I think it is your responsibility as a student of God's word to read it thoroughly and check what does God have to say about work in relation to your life and your calling and your opportunity. Webster's revised unabridged dictionary. The abridged one that is shorter. I checked, has 25 entries on work. Talks about work in 25 pieces. Approaches it from this side. The writers don't think that is uh, adequately representative. They pick another thought. But one of the ones I found more concise is the definition of work as the exertion of strength or faculties, physical or intellectual effort directed to an end. Exertion of strength. <laughs> you know these days you hear stories of people saying, you don't work hard, but you work smart. What they are saying is that there is an easier way to get around to produce results without exerting yourself that much. Only the foolish who have not been to school well and are not very smart uh, apply their thorax on, on work. Sometimes it is exertion of your faculties, the physical and intellectual effort. But work is always directed towards an end. There is something that you are seeking to achieve. And it may be industrial activity, but it usually will involve toil. Um, sometimes you get employed in a job. Uh, sometimes it is physical labor. And I don't think any definition will go beyond Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 2.15. God has commanded us to work. But Genesis chapter 3 verses 17 to 19, which is really the description of the effect of the fall on work, God appears to recharacterize work and to integrate the consequences of the fall, not in a very flattering way in the realm of work. To Adam he said, verse 17 of chapter 3, because you listened to the woman and ate from the tree about which I commanded you not to eat, cast is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. And the pain and toil of work is introduced because of the fall. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Not a very flattering description. Work remains God's command. It is not revised as God's instructions that there will be pain and toil are just an addition to the description of work that we have. 
Now the entire life of a person is directed to work till you return to dust and that work will have toil and pain and sweat. But by it you'll be impacting creation, meeting your needs and those of your family and hopefully meeting the needs of other people who may be your responsibility or who are needy, including supporting the work of the church and ensuring that this tent that we want to mount is done in record time for the comfort of God's people as they worship. Understanding this is a basic Christian principle of work as God's design. No one is exempt. It is God's call to you till you die. That gives you a huge mileage. I dare say at this stage that Satan's oppression and harassment and sabotage and mischief for Christians often plays out in the area of work. And you just need to check what happens in people's places of employment. This thing called the politics of management and work. Some of you are victims. You literally find people ganging up against you. Um, for no reason, really, of a fault of your own to get you out. You look at our farming, the persistent droughts. You look at enterprise and the production that we seek to make, the spoilage of produce, and the tremendous amount of pain experienced in family in this area. Work is so crucial Satan knows that by interfering in that area, he can get many, many people very unhappy. Although we blame Satan sometimes for things he hasn't done, human beings appear to have a propensity towards finding a formula to dodge and escape this imperative to work. Many people believe they can get by without really needing to work. The whole enterprise of corruption is geared towards receiving value and proceeds of other people's work without you having to work. And it is very pervasive in this land. And some Christians are caught up in it. And they find all kinds of ways to rationalize it. But really, it's an attempt to escape what God has said. You will eat from the sweat of your brow. Why do you want to eat from the sweat of the brow of another person? Now the entire enterprise of gambling seeks to achieve value and wealth by sheer luck without needing to work by hitting the jackpot. Apparently, some of the activities of witchcraft and human curses and satanic activity is directed towards work in the lives of the people that are targeted so that they don't get opportunities to work. The returns from their work is destroyed. Festering disease makes it difficult for them to work. And sometimes it is the intention of the malevolent spirits to injure your capacity to work. 
I know a man who is rather close to my generation. And when we left university, there were jobs. Actually, when I packed my bags to leave university, even before I could graduate at the ceremony at the Great Court, I had a job, and I carried my bags to my next station uh, of work, where there was even a five-bedroom house. And I had no wife. <laughs> it was just difficult. In fact, I used to house some of my colleagues who want blessed, blessed as much to find a house. And someone has a bachelor's degree in commerce. Now, I took what was described then, especially by the ladies, as bachelor of anything. <laughs> bachelor, bachelor of anything. <laughs> but if you had a big comb, you were at another level. He did a job for a little time and he didn't work again. He comes from a community where witchcraft is a little more pronounced. And I hear there are people who even told his mother, who you had a fanya kazi Ataletawa midaiga Tuakikishe Hiyo masomo ni yabure It's not a laughing matter It's not a joke But the victory I said we have in the Lord Regarding satanic oppression Is also applicable to work and if you find that your enterprise of work is very severely challenged, don't assume that it is just normal. Go to the pastor and say, something seems to go wrong with my work. I get a job, I don't keep it. Or I get a job and I'm very severely harassed. Let them pray over you and anoint you with oil. You can get liberation. Call them to your office and ask them to anoint the seat you sit on and the desk where you work. Sometimes purpose have to be told, this is an altar. A man or a woman of God sits here and works. Now your manenos are scattered in Jesus' name. Because Satan likes to camouflage his activities so that we don't take him seriously. And we continue suffering oppression that is camouflaged as normal stuff when it is uh, satanic. Now, away from Satan and curses, the Bible is very strong against laziness. And you can note the passage that the senior pastor read for us. There are enough people who attempt not to work, and yet find a livelihood from the proceeds of other people's work. And we shall talk about that quite a bit. But even notwithstanding the Genesis chapter 3, work can be blissful and enjoyable. Solomon seems to have that idea that you can enjoy work. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, he says, a man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? He picks it up again in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, verse 22. I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work. 
Because this is his lot. And I have picked just a few. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 19. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. Now one of the challenges about work is that you work for a very long time. And if work is drudgery and a source of pain, for most people, close to a third of their lives would be lived in misery because most people work for about 25 to 30, 35, 40 years. And if you take that chunk of your life to be one of pain and drudgery and misery because you have to work, then you are very unfortunate. And the mindset that you bring to work determines whether it is drudgery or painful or harassing or a delight. Whether it's an expression of privilege and a divinely orchestrated opportunity and a highly fulfilling engagement. The choice for you to be happy is not about the work that you do, but that God has given you opportunity. This week I had two interesting illustrations. I was driving to an errand and I was needing to check the pressure, the tire pressure on my car. And as I parked near a pressure pump, this watchman walked over, broad smiling. Says, Mze, where are you angalini? Nyuma, nilikuwa ninakuja, niliona unatabika kama kuna mtu wa kuangalia pressure. Very, very delighted. And then when I was done, he says, now, for people like you, we don't say God bless you. We say live long because you're already blessed. And for a watchman, driving in a car is okay. If you're driving <laughs> the kind of car sometimes I drive, you seem like you are very okay. And then, just this week, I went to a mall. These are shopping malls. And I went to the bathrooms. Like the bathrooms pastor is building here. And in the malls, you know, they employ people to hang around there to keep them clean. Omze, how are you? And he checked, where do I want to go? You know, the ladies, you don't have much choice, but men have choices. So he tells me, stop, stop, stop. And he gets into one of the loos and cleans it nicely, takes some tissue and cleans the basin, full of joy, full of joy. And he says, now it's okay. You can use. It was difficult not to pull out a hundred shillings and give him. I mean, if you find a man who is delighted and has a lot of joy working in a toilet and hanging in there so that they are cleaned for the next patrons to come, and he's even saying he wants to clean it even better for you, that is a source of joy. You know, we don't find joy in our work because of the work it is. You find joy in your work because God has given you an opportunity to work. 
I want to outline a few principles of work today. The Bible disapproves laziness and slothfulness. It even has a description of a character who is called the sluggard. And Proverbs chapter 10 verse 4 says, Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. Proverbs 26 verse 13 to 15, the sluggard says, There is a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. That's the reason for him not to get out of the house. Because how do you want to go and do some conference with a lion that is roaming the streets? And Solomon is very contemptuous of the sluggard. He says, as a door turns on its hinges, so the sluggard turns on his bed. He's completely yoked to the bed and he'll not be able to leave it. Since the sluggard buries his hand in the dish, he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth and eat the food. And he's hungry and food is in the dish and he's too lazy to eat it. The sluggard is someone who is habitually lazy and inactive and does not take responsibility for his life. He's also called a laggard. What are the normal characteristics of the sluggard? Inertia. They just have this character of being unable to move themselves into something useful. They are stuck. Kamagari mekwama. Nahitaji kuskumwa. One of the other characteristics is that they begin tasks that they never finish. Laggards and sluggards are very nice castle builders. When you listen to them talk sometimes, the wonderful dreams and thoughts they have about their future just amaze you and you say, if God ever enables them to accomplish the things in their minds, behold wonderful people. But they never start anything, they just live in the dream world. They are restless and busy bodies all over and nowhere and are easily a nuisance and troublesome to people living in a self-deceptive dream world. This is sinful and unchristian. What does the Bible say we should do with it? That's the passage that uh, Maura read for us. The Bible expects us to confront the sluggards and challenge them. So what does he say in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3? Keep away from every brother who is idle and tell them why. Keep away. Don't hang around people who are idle. They are likely to infect you. And sakukusambazia hiyo ulagai. Then he says, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. He commands the busy bodies to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. And he says, shame those who are not willing to actually work. I think this is a matter that the church has been shy to face head on and is reaching a crisis proportion. Maybe we, begin, we need to begin to 
create study guides to be followed in the church talking about work and our call to it so that Christians can come to a common philosophy and theology of work and the Christians to feel it is their Christian duty to refuse to tolerate idleness and sluggard behavior in the Christian family. In fact, Pastor Maura, churches are seen as a place where the sluggards come to beg for alms. When I ran a church, I was once told by my secretary that there was a woman who wanted to see me. I said, ask her to go and see the administrator. I don't think I'll finish work until very late. And I, the admin is there for that. I was told she has said she will not see the administrator. She'll only see you. I said, well, a visitor who determines how she'll be served. So I said, okay, I'll see her. But I came out and tried to see who is this person who must see me. It's a person I have never seen. Um, she looked okay. At 8.30 p.m. when I cleared at my desk, I came out and said, come in now. Tell me what is the matter. And she said, her children had not eaten for two days. So, give me something for my children. I said, from two o'clock, I said, you see the administrator, you said, you'll only see me. So that you have money to buy food. And that is something the administrator can do. I walked out and drove home. So I checked with admin the next day, who was that woman who is here? And I was told, she knows there is a new pastor here. Who doesn't know her? So she's exploiting your newness to extract from you bowls of mercy so that you can give her greater <laughs> handouts than she's able to. They are professional laggards and beggars who <laughs> go around looking for where they can find what they don't work for and it is unchristian. Now the laggards are around us. We know them more than the pastor knows them. Some men have wives who are laggards. They are not willing to work. They are not willing to bring anything to the family. They say a woman is married to be supported by her husband. In fact, when we went to school, Madaka didn't go to school those days, some girls used to say there is no point working very hard in study. There is a man who is burning oil who will take care of me when I get married. <laughs> and there are men who are not willing to work. They live off their wives. In fact, these days, women who appear to have means are in trouble. They have all kinds of men throwing themselves at their feet to marry them and they are looking at the cars that they are driving and many women are going through a lot of grief because they saw a lot of love in a character who was not looking for love but was looking for food. <laughs> Some of middle class children are laggards. 
and sluggards. <laughs> they are not willing to work. I was employed a graduate in one of my previous uh, lives. I'm a man of many lives. And one day, she came and said, I want to leave. I said, why do you want to leave? And she said, you know, the salary you are paying me is rather little. Since I began to work, mommy removed my allowances. My allowances are more than the salary. So I am leaving work to go back home to stay with mommy who will give me more handsome allowances. And the mothers are generally the culprits. Why are you calling that laggard boy daddy? Daddy, who is that and is not working and you are giving him food and allowing to stay, him to stay in your home? You were married when you were 25. He is that and living of you. When is he going to marry? And look after his own family. Daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy. That's nonsense. <laughs> Sometimes you have parents who are laggards. Simply because they took you to college, now they must live of you. They are not sick, they are, they are older than you are, but, and they have a capacity to live for very many years until you retire when they are still working. Are you going to raise your children or feed able-bodied people? <laughs> These are serious matters. These are serious matters. You know, I look at some of you who are younger and working, and I see the burdens that your families place on you, and I'm wondering, can you handle can you take your children to school? Can you feed them and raise them? And your daddy and your mommy have become additional children for you. If they are sick, yes, by all means. If they are able-bodied, help them to work and find something to do that can generate for them food. The command is you work until you return to dust. Not until your children grow up. <laughs> Genesis 3.19 By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from there you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. You will sweat and find food only by working until you die. Now the work you do may vary. Obviously, your father was digging and working very much on the land. When he is 70, he might need to change his work. And in consultation with you, you find something he can do that a 70-year-old can handle um, without the exertion that sometimes is required by some routine work. I was being told more the other day of a kaze who was brought a very nice cow by the sun. Fresh and hosting. Banana stem, even before he chops it, the cow has eaten half of it because of the way. And one day, he brought a big muzigo of napier grass and dropped it. 
and sat to post a bet and pumua. And he was taken to the fridges in the hospital. So don't ask them to do things that will kill them. But there are things they can do. My late mother basically died in my house. And she was very sick and we knew she was dying. But she was working until she dies. So when she was on her deathbed, I would hear her telling my brother's wife who came, Na ukieda nyumbani, kuna ila mti abao branche zake zinapunguzia maharangwa yangu na mahindi jua. Go and check how it is sitting and if need be, chop some so that uh, the crop is good. And she's dying. We are worried about her. She's worried about her beans and her maize. That's a woman obeying scripture. Then after we buried her, after she died, my brother came and told me, there is a message I got from mom to give you. Say, what is the message? The kunandama, there is a calf in her shed. She said she wants to bless you with it. And her instructions that you carry it with you and put it in your heart, because I had cows then as I still do, and raise it until it gives you a dama, a calf heifer. Then, if you want to sell it after that, you can. My mother is thinking about me and wondering what to pass to me. It's not right that parents should be worrying about what children will pass to them. It is parents who pass things to children, not the other way. And there is no retirement for that. Work calls for discipline and continuous self-application. Paul in 1 Corinthians 9.26 says, Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. For you to work and produce results, you must exert yourself. The body would want you to pamper it. You just have to push it and hold yourself by the boots and work to produce results. All work is valid and requires the same level of seriousness and engagement as any other type of work. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you are going... There is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. And that's called whatever, whatever your hand finds to do. Paul states it in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Whatever you do. The Christian call to work is just a call to work. And whatever work you do requires the same level, the same quality, the same standard, the same determination to turn out the best results as any other work. All work has equal dignity. The work you dream for has the same dignity as any other work. The work you actually find just has as much dignity. Many people don't find the work they really dreamt to do. The work that may show up from time to time 
has as much dignity. The work on the land has as much dignity as the work in the office. The work in business has as much dignity. The work in the church, white-collar work, blue-collar work, no-collar work, all work has dignity. <laughs> and every type of work engaged must be done to the highest standard. I was listening to uh, an advisor the other day talking to his people, and he gave the example of this man and woman who lived in Nairobi, and the woman was not doing a job that is regular. The husband had a job, and she was tired of staying at home, so she began to buy cabbages and tomatoes and sukumas and sell in the neighborhood. Sensible women do such things. Then, one day, her husband came and saw her wires. He asked her, what are you doing? I am able to feed you and clothe you. You stay home and look after the house and the children. I don't want to see you doing such work. You are lowering my dignity. It is closed. And then she checked and she said, I have a foolish husband. <laughs> he doesn't want to see my wires. So she figured out she will open late after he is gone. And she knows when he comes home, she will close her biashara before he arrives. Because he's not seeing, then he has no reason to be angry. Until after several years, one day he came and he said, um, pray for me, there is something that is giving me trouble. And she said, what is it, my dear, that is giving you trouble? She says, I am trying to buy a car. I have raised so much money. I need this amount, and I'm not figuring out where to find it. And she said, we don't need to pray about that. I'll give you. So she gave her the balance, him, him the balance. And he asked, where did this come from? And she said, the work you stopped me from doing, that you said you never want to see me doing again, I began doing it when you cannot see, and I have money. This which you need, when I have given you, I will have more. So he bought his car. And he said, you can continue to do it even when I can see. <laughs> I'm told he went on to die rather early like most men are in the habit of doing. <laughs> and that his wife is very happy and comfortable. There is only one God and one Jesus Christ and it is not you. So husbands, drop the folly of saying that you are adequate for your wives. Let your wives work. If they do not want to do a regular job, let them figure out a business they can do. Nobody is exempt from the command not to eat the bread of idleness, but to work to earn their keep. And nobody knows the uncertainties of life what may happen along the way. 
the life skills, husbands and wives and children and parents learn and attain might turn out to be very useful long after you are not there or you have been crippled uh, by disease and can no longer support your family as you did when you loved it. Because you are not God, you are not Jesus Christ, let your wife or your husband and your children wrestle with God and find what to do to earn their bread, even if you give them top up. Don't be God for them, if they are adults. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. And he who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment and discretion. Too many Kenyans view work as a place they report to at a particular time that is allowed and approved, and a time when they leave which is required and authorized, and to be paid as much money as possible for it, without any connection with the outputs that they bring. Too many Kenyans do not associate their pay with a proportional value that they create for their employer, and many employers are just putting up with their workers, the workers they have, because they wonder where will they find angels. One time my wife and I were very tired of a worker, very tired. And then he comes and tells her, Mama, nataka ujipange, nitaacha kazi mwisho wa mwezi. Organize yourself because I'm going to leave at the end of the month, find my replacement. So I came and I was told, oh, so-and-so wants to leave. I said, that is lovely. <laughs> and in a few days, the replacement was there, he was told, Monyeshe kazi. So show him the work we do, how it is done. So that when you are gone, um, he can continue. And then he passed a message through another worker. I did not want to leave. I wanted to threaten to leave so that I get a pay rise. <laughs> Who will tell them that I want to stay? And we are saying good riddance. Many employers are putting up Pastor Mora, you know, there are people here who their employers are putting up with. <laughs> and if you look at our shampas, at our livestock, at our dairy cows, at our cash crops, the outputs in this country that we are producing do not match global standards. We are operating at a very mediocre level almost in everything. You don't find the kind of exertion that the Bible talks about doing everything as though you are doing it for the Lord because you cannot work like that and the results don't show. Our academics and our culture leaves a lot to be desired. Work is a test of loyalty and faithfulness and spiritual maturity. Work is a test of loyalty and faithfulness 
and spiritual maturity. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 12, Jesus speaking, says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I want to suggest, as I wrap up, that many of our people are stuck and stagnating and frustrated and unhappy about their work, not because of factors external to them, but because of their lethargic and selfish and careless outlook towards work. Because God is not finding them trustworthy with what they have been given, he is finding it unnecessary to entrust them with more. Because God is our client and our employer and our supervisor, you cannot cheat him. You cannot play organizational politics on God with work. Why don't you just obey and be faithful and trustworthy and reliable and accept even when your return is disproportionate to your labor and trust God to ensure that you receive justice because he is a just God. For the Christian, your work is an arena for God's favor and blessing. Psalms 90 verse 16 to 17 says, the, Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You shall eat the fruit of your labor, of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall go well with you. Psalms 128 verses 1 and 2. The favor of the Lord is greater than the labor of a lifetime, but is not a substitute for work. And so all those uh, videos about prosperity and blessing and work that you are listening to with wonderful group of preachers and motivational speakers telling you how Utaruka na pole vote from poverty to prosperity like a flash because of God's favor, God has commanded that we work. He intends not to bypass his teaching and his command and his promise. He intends to bless the work of our hands, not to bless our hands without work. I want to ask you a few questions and then we finish and pray. Can you really say that on a daily basis you earn the bread you eat or you eat the bread of idleness? That's a question everyone of us must answer. Have you taken such a narrow view of work that the work you select and choose and assign yourself is a reflection of status that you think you have rather than appreciating the work that is available for you to do. The reason a lot of people are out of work is not because there is no work. It's because they have status. You know, I am a chemical engineer. 
How can I raise chicken? If you don't have chemicals to engineer, but you have chicken to feed and eat an egg, go and do the chicken. When the chemical for engineering will come, you, you engineer it. Simply because you have a degree, work that is done by people who don't have degrees is beneath you. I want to suggest that some people have a degree by accident and default, not because of aptitude and capability. <laughs> you know the pressure that is put on parents who are middle class, that their children have a degree so much at least have a degree. You know I have two. It would be ridiculous for my child not to have a degree. Find the work, do the work that's available. The work that is good for you will come. Too many people are sitting on assets and resources that have potential for multiplying their earnings that are unexploited. And what they require is just a little creativity and effort to multiply their return from work. And if you do so, you might employ people. Remember the parable of the talent? When we go to heaven and the Lord is asking, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? Many people will be in complete shame. Some of you own assets that you've been sitting on for years as statements of your prosperity and ingenuity that are idle. They're not giving you any return. If you are a kikui, you are saying, Nikona kashamba mahali. Ukuna kashamba pale. Ukipita KBC on Kagundo Road. Kuna kaeka hapo. Hako nilinunua wakati ule nikaweka kuna siku. Itakuja. In fact, some kikuyu men don't know where their land is. Alisikia kuna shaba, yiko mahali na nunuliwa. Paid the money to get to know later where it is and what it can be used for. I suspect some of you here, but maybe not here, but in your rika, have very frustrated parents who are sitting on wonderful assets that are available to you to use, to improve your lot. Uh, but you think that they are foolish. Uh, what is the point of telling me that my father has uh, 30 acres of land in Nyandarwa when I'm living in Nairobi that he hopes I can bring a proposal what to do with. Is that what he was sending me to university to study so that I come and do? Are you enjoying a standard of living to which you are not making a just contribution? Taking advantage of your parents' estate. Taking advantage of your wife who earns a good salary. Or your husband who is kind. Or your endowed relatives. Instead of using the advantage to propel yourself ahead, it becomes a reason for slothfulness. 
Let us stand. And I want to ask you, in relation to work as a Christian, are there sins that you need to confess to God and ask him to forgive you and give you a fresh start? Is there deliverance that you need because of oppression around your area of work that you think only God can make an intervention? But I want to ask you, are there resolutions that you ought to make? Are there resolutions that you ought to make? Ought you to restructure your life differently? Ought you to account better for the resources and the abilities God has placed in your hands? As you account to God today for the talents he has given you, are you able to say that you have been faithful in the way that you have used them and applied yourself to them with your whole heart and your whole mind. I would ask that you whisper a prayer for yourself, whisper a prayer for your husband and wife, whisper a prayer for your children and your parents, whisper a prayer for the church and its witness, and pray that because God has given us health and strength, because God has given us skills and abilities, because God has been gracious to us, that we can be carried by a desire to demonstrate our thankfulness by applying ourselves fully in the space God has given us. May the Lord bless you and shine his face on you. May the Lord continue to use his word to do business with you. May the Lord look upon you with kindness and grant you the desire for which you have prayed. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit.